This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Now, you may be listening to us right now on your way, perhaps, to a Remembrance Day ceremony. Lots of people kind of leaving the house, getting ready to do that if there is one in your community, and there are many, many to choose from. But it did get us thinking about the crowds at these ceremonies and how they seem to me have, in the last 10 years, have gotten much bigger than they were, uh, you know, in the 90s and the early 2000s. I feel like over the years, they've gotten bigger and bigger. So we wanted to get a sense of that. There was also that poll that uh, we've heard from in the news today too that show the number of Canadians pretty sizable number of Canadians who say their intention is to go to Remembrance Day ceremonies, like they would like to do that. So we thought, let's ask for ourselves. So for our hot question today, we want to know, how often do you go to Remembrance Day ceremonies? Do you go every year? And many people do. Do you go when you can, that you find yourself available and think, yes, this year I'm going to go to those ceremonies? Or or maybe you have yet to attend one, right? You might have thought about it, but you just have not ever done that. So let me know. You can go to SimiSarah980 or at CKNW on Twitter and cast your vote there. You can also email me, Simi at CKNW.com or call our bus line, 604-331-2899. And today, if you're going to email me, I would really like to hear the why. Why do you go to the ceremonies? Is there someone in particular, is there someone in your family, someone you know of, a particular story that has moved you to make sure that you participate in these ceremonies every year? I'd love to be able to read those out loud as well so you can get some public recognition for those stories. So send them to me, simi at cknw.com. Just moments ago here in downtown Vancouver in Victory Square where Remembrance Day ceremonies are just getting underway, of course culminating with the moment of silence, which we will have for you in about half an hour and we hope that you'll stay with us. We've got the next, at least the next half hour and more beyond uh, talking about all sorts of different issues and stories around Remembrance Day. Uh, For instance, right now we're going to talk about your neighborhood legion. You've probably seen them, right? You've driven by them. When was the last time you were actually inside one or that you actually visited one? Well, CKNW contributor Claire Allen took us on a tour of a legion that's actually hidden among the homes in the beachside community here in Vancouver of Kitsilano. Have a listen. When I say Kitsilano, what do you think about? Is it the beach? The birthplace of Lululemon? Lulu in the news after posting strong fourth quarter results, revenue of $1.17 billion or dozens of trendy restaurants and boutiques. Well, all of those are true. But did you know that Kitsilano is home to a 70-year-old legion? The Billy Bishop Legion is a hidden gem in the neighborhood. Emphasis on the word hidden. From the outside, the Billy Bishop Legion looks just like any other house. But once you're inside, it's like you've gone back in time. The legion's interior is decorated like a British pub, the sort that you would imagine would have been frequented by airmen during World War II. Lisa McQuillan is the president of the Billy Bishop Legion, and she showed me around the historic venue. This legion was actually started up, it started first as an Air, the Air Force Foundation, so it was started by Air Force guys, and um, they wanted it to be very similar to an English pub. So as an Air Force, and then when they went to get the charter for the Legion, um, decided it should be Billy Bishop. Of course, because Billy Bishop is one of the best-known 
World War One ace pilots, but he was also instrumental in World War Two with some of the training of, of a lot of different um, fighter pilots. He's an iconic figure, so it just seemed appropriate that, that the, the Air Force Legion, so to speak, would be named after him. One of the most valued features of the Billy Bishop Legion is that it's actually designated as a wartime museum. Almost everything in the Legion has a historical significance, including the wood-burning fireplace. Uh, even things like the, the grate in the, um, for the fireplace, that's components of, of airplane bits. Sitting above the fireplace is a portrait of Air Marshal William Bishop, and along the wooden beams are hundreds of emblems from different regiments all over the world. They're either gifted to us or they're provided to us as a, a sign of respect or in, in appreciation for some support that we've provided them. So one of our newest ones is, is the Seaforth Highlanders. And it's really lovely. We'll watch people walk around and go, that was my grandfather's regiment. Or, and they'll take pictures. The Billy Bishop offers a variety of events every week that are available for everyone to enjoy. From the Friday night dinners to the Sunday night meat draws, there's always something to do at the Legion. And you don't have to be a veteran in order to partake. You simply have to come down and sign up to become a member. Come on in, we'll give you a form, yeah. and you fill it in, and you give us $65 for a year. But that's, that's what it takes to become a member. There's an oath that you sign on the back, which really just identifies that you support the mission of the Legion and that you'll support the Poppy campaign every year. McQuillan is hoping that more people sign up to become a member because for the past few years, the Billy Bishop Legion has been struggling to pay its ever-increasing property taxes. In the past, City of Vancouver officials have cited the Charter saying that it's not possible to grant legions a property tax exemption. McQuillan is now speaking with new Mayor Kennedy Stewart about the issue and is hoping that he will have a change of heart. She says that if legions shut down, valuable stories will be lost. Historically, we've lost so much in the city of Vancouver historically with, with, with the way the city has chosen to redevelop. And when you lose the buildings, you also lose some of those memories and some of those stories. We here can continue to tell a really important story, a story of Vancouver and a story of key members of Vancouver, our, our, our serving men and women are first-line responders. So those are the stories we tell. To learn more about the Billy Bishop Legion, visit billybishoplegion.org. Where are you going, young fellow, my lad, on this glittering morn of May? I'm going to join the colors, Dad. They're looking for men, they say. But you're only a boy, young fellow, my lad. You aren't obliged to go. I'm 17 and a quarter, Dad, and ever so strong, you know. So you're off to France, young fellow, my lad. You're looking so fit and bright. I'm terribly sorry to leave you, Dad, but I feel that I'm doing right. God bless you and keep you. Young fellow, my lad, you're all of my life, you know. Don't worry, I'll soon be back, dear dad, and I'm awfully proud to go. Why don't you write, young fellow, my lad, 
I watch for the post each day and I miss you so and I'm awfully sad and it's months since you went away and I've had the fire in the parlor lit and I'm keeping it burning bright till my boy comes home and here I sit into the quiet night. What's the matter, young fellow, my lad? No letter again today? Why did the postman look so sad and sigh as he turned away? I hear them tell that we gained new ground, but a terrible price we've paid. God grant, my boy, that you're safe and sound, but oh, I'm afraid, afraid. They've told me the truth, young fellow, my lad. You'll never come back again. For you passed in the night, young fellow, my lad, and you proved in the cruel test of the screaming shell and the battle hell that my boy was one of the best. So you'll live. You'll live, young fellow, my lad, in the gleam of the evening star, in the woodnote wild and the laugh of the child, in all sweet things that are. And you'll never die, my wonderful boy, whilst life is noble and true. For all our beauty and hope and joy, we will owe to our lads like you. That is Young Fellow, My Lad by Robert Williams Service. That was read at Victory Square in Vancouver just a few moments ago. And of course, in his very distinctive voice, you couldn't miss it. Uh, that was read by uh, Bart on the Beach's Christopher Gaze. Now, there are, of course, Remembrance Day ceremonies going on all over Metro Vancouver, all over the province, all over the country today. And we're going to bring you some sights and sounds from what is going on down at the Remembrance Day ceremonies at Victory Square for you uh, throughout the morning leading up to that moment of silence in about... Oh, 13 minutes, 12 minutes time or so. In the meantime, some other Remembrance Day moments for you. Governor General Julie Payette is urging Canadians to never forget the sacrifices of veterans and the costs of war. Uh, She had a touching video tribute that was released today ahead of the ceremonies. Now, Payette says that many veterans returned to Canada wounded in their body and their soul, while many, of course, did not return from the battlefield at all. She made those comments in an online video that was posted today. Have a listen. They fought for the ideals of peace and to defend our liberties. Many were wounded in their body and in their soul. Too many paid the ultimate price. We owe them an immense debt of gratitude. We must never forget their sacrifice and the terrible costs of war. Let us never take freedom for granted and stand up for equality and tolerance. Governor General Julie Payette. Uh, one of the stories leading up to Remembrance Day ceremonies, I have to say, really stayed with me. 
It's about a group of junior rangers who flew to a remote BC town. Now it's pretty much known as a ghost town. It's called Anyox. They flew there last month because they wanted to make sure that fallen soldiers from the First World War were not forgotten. Some of those soldiers, of course, were residents at that time of the town of Anyox, but this is a now abandoned mining town. So with the town abandoned, who was looking after these graves? Well, Aaron MacArthur reports on this initiative to ensure that no stone is left alone. Buried at the very edge of Canada, yet not forgotten. 15 World War I veterans remembered with dignity. A group of junior rangers from Stewart and Telqua cleaning the graves of volunteers who returned home. Uh, we knew the cemetery was here and we conducted an exercise here and did some uh, searches. And we were able to find the cemetery and have been coming back every year since. The men, all volunteers from the mining community of Antioch. The Granby Mining Company let 400 men leave to fight the Great War, promising them a burial if they returned, recognizing their service. During the Great Depression, Antioch's all but vanished when the mine shuttered. No stone left alone means these veterans get the same respect as their comrades. I think it's important for the youth today to remember the sacrifices of the soldiers from the past. To come out to these grave sites just to salute and remember these people that died and to clean up the graves. Three of the graves are unmarked. The 12 which had identification on the headstones had their names read aloud as part of a memorial service. We will remember them. I think it's important that uh, we come in here and pay our respects because this place has been neglected for nearly 100 years. A story from Aaron MacArthur. I don't know why that story really stuck with me. I read it about three or four days ago, but just the thought of people who had sacrificed their lives and then the town disappears, right? Mining town packs up and then you've got this cemetery that of course nobody knows are there. And I was thinking, well, those, they must have descendants. They must have relatives who don't know even where their relatives, their military veteran relatives are, are buried. Uh, that one, uh, No Stone Left is Left Alone is a great organization. Now we, of course, are preparing here on the West Coast for our moment of silence coming up at 11 a.m. We know that out east, of course, in central Canada as well, the Remembrance Day ceremonies have already taken place, particularly in Ottawa. At the National War Memorial there, the wreaths have been laid, and Canada continues to remember in different time zones right across the country. But we thought a little sound for you now from what happened in Ottawa this morning. Major General Guy Chapdelaine held prayers. We gather today from across Canada to offer our thanks for those who have gone before us in the cause of freedom and peace. In the presence of our veterans, the living embodiment of valor and service, we pause to remember our men and women who serve our country that we might live in freedom and peace. We will remember them. It is with deep gratitude that we remember our veterans and serving members who suffer physical or psychological injuries. May we also 
show great compassion to those who put an end to the struggle of their lives. That is some of what we heard at the Ottawa Remembrance Day ceremonies this morning. Now, of course, there's ceremonies, as I said, happening all over the place today. There is the big one. And I took a look at some of the coverage, which, by the way, is happening right now on Global News and BC One. You can see that and see the crowds. There are huge crowds that have turned out in downtown Vancouver for this. But that's not the only place where there are ceremonies going on. There's a number of places, even in Vancouver as well, that host other ceremonies. There are several Remembrance Day events scheduled across the city of Surrey as well. Uh, They're marking this. Burnaby. uh, You've also got Richmond, Abbotsford. Uh, You've got Abbotsford Remembrance Day event actually taking place at Thunderbird Square. That's on Veterans Way. And they will also have um, the moment of silence, the minute minute of silence, and a parade as well that people can uh, watch go by there. Tri-Cities, Langley, Delta. I mean, you name it. There are all sorts of ceremonies going on across uh, the country and across the province right now. some of the sounds that happened at Victory Square right here in downtown Vancouver just in the past hour. Lots of crowds there. Looks like more than 10,000 people turned out for the Remembrance Day ceremonies. Now, give me an idea of what happens. They have a bit of a parade, of course. They have the moment of silence. But also, every year, a poem written by a local school student is selected as the Poem of Remembrance for November 11th. Today, that poet is Cameron Elliott. He's a grade 11 student at Fraser Academy in Vancouver. His poem is called A Phantom Pain. He recited it at the Remembrance Day ceremony in Victory Square this morning, and we thought you might like to have a listen as well. A man sits in his favorite wooden chair upon his wooden deck holding a glass of water. He closes his eyes and takes a breath of the honeyed air, a luxury to his lungs. A darkness seen before sways through him, a fever feeling of urgency and unease. Across his face, the chilled wind seeps through him, comforting him, but yet, he still feels the searing blaze of ashes of burned homes and heated embers of flaming pastures. Hearing the boards creak sends a twinge of disquiet in his mind, telling him of a foreign enemy in his midst. He opens his eyes and takes a shuddering breath, looks, and finds everything still and quiet, sensing the world harmonious and mellow. He gazes upon the rhythmic swaying field and reminds himself, it's over and behind him. But that is a truth his phantoms will never accept. It's 
impressive. That is Cameron Elliott. He's a grade 11 student at Fraser Academy in Vancouver. His poem called A Phantom Pain. He recited that in front of thousands of people at the Remembrance Day ceremony in Victory Square within the last hour. Now, also on Global BC earlier, Chris Galas spoke to Tim Laidler. Tim Laidler is a retired corporal with the BC Regiment, and he's one of the founders of something called the Veterans Transition Network. They do very important work helping people transition from their combat roles back to civilian life. He spoke about his own service and the work they do, the work they do at the network in UBC. I grew up here in Vancouver and uh, deployed to Afghanistan in 2008. So when I came home, it was a bit of a hard transition from the high stress environment like Afghanistan back to Vancouver. Um, Luckily, I did find a program created at UBC called the uh, the Veterans Transition Network, and it brought veterans back together to help integrate our experiences and transition back to civilian life. How important is it for them to get the kind of educational background and find meaningful work after combat? Yeah, it's critically important. You know, there's two fronts to this transition. One is dealing with things like PTSD or stress reactions. The second part is getting the critical skills necessary to be effective and successful in civilian life. So bringing them back to UBC after they've dealt with their mental health programs, it can be really effective to help for the long-term gains. It sounds like some amazing work going on at UBC. Uh, A little bit about your background. I mean, there Obviously, every year we're losing World War II veterans, people who fought in the Great Wars, and there's a whole new generation of soldiers like yourself who are much younger, but still dealt with a lot of the same hardships that that soldiers from the Great Wars did. Do you feel like they're getting uh, a little bit more recognition nowadays, or is there still work to be done there? There's always more that can be done. I think the Royal Canadian Legion has played a really good role linking the generations. When I came back from Afghanistan, there was a program ready for me that was funded and created by the Legion right here in British Columbia. So the older generation veterans were able to give input and help the psychologists learn how to best support veterans coming home. And that's why I'm thankful that uh, it was ready for me. Well, continue the good work, obviously making uh, that program more well-known so that uh, soldiers who are leaving service are aware that it's there. Absolutely. That is uh, Global BC's Chris Galas speaking to a man named Tim Laidler. He's a retired corporal with the BC Regiment, uh, one of the founders of the Veterans Transition Network. I also asked you today to send me some emails uh, letting me know who it is that you think about on Remembrance Day. Is there someone in your family, somebody that you know, sticks in your mind that you maybe go to the ceremony for or just think about even on a day like today? And I had some uh, good emails on this. Let's want to read some of them here for a moment. Uh, Margaret, thank you, Margaret, for taking the time to write us today. Margaret says, I want to honor my grandfather, Ernest Tasker, who was injured in the Battle of the Somme in World War I. She says, my parents and my husband's parents all served in World War II, and somewhere in France lie the remains of my husband's great uncle who died in World War I. God bless them, she said, and thank you to all our veterans. Margaret, thank you for telling us your story. Uh, Patricia wrote me to say, I am very proud to say that I am the daughter of a Canadian veteran. It has been an honor to watch his career and how he has made a difference in so many lives. Unless you have lived the military life, it would be difficult to see how their career as a soldier has impacted every aspect of their lives, including those of family and friends. At the age of 85, Patricia says, 
He continues to encourage and help others as well as showing an enormous respect for all. Patricia said he exemplifies what all of us should be doing in order to make the world a better place. We must never forget what our fallen soldiers have done as well as those who still living have sacrificed for a better tomorrow. Patricia, thank you for that. Uh, keep those coming. I do love stories like that. Simi at cknw.com. We've also been giving you some sounds of the ceremonies happening in Victory Square this morning. And during those ceremonies, Acting Battalion Chief Andrew Greenwood of the Vancouver Bach Youth Choir and the Vancouver Fire and Rescue Services Band led a rendition of Maple Leaf Forever to honour the heritage and resilience of Canada. Let's have a listen. Just some more of the sounds that happened at the Victory Square Remembrance Day ceremony this morning. Uh, More than 10,000 people were there to watch it, and I'm sure you'll see lots of coverage of that throughout the day today on BC One and on Global News, so make sure that you check that out. You people love, you you, that come here, whatever it is, you love our way of life, you love our milk and honey, at least you could pay a couple of bucks for poppies or something like that. These guys pay for your way of life that you enjoy in Canada. That right there, the Coach's Corner segment that has definitely been heard right across the country for all the wrong reasons. And now we can confirm it has cost Don Cherry his job. 
Sportsnet, the company that employs him, just issued a statement just minutes ago. And their statement says, sports brings people together. It unites us, not divides us. Following further discussions with Don Cherry after Saturday night's broadcast, it has been decided it is the right time for him to immediately step down. During the broadcast, he made divisive remarks that do not represent our values or what we stand for. It goes on to say, Don is synonymous with hockey, has played an integral role in growing the game over the past 40 years. We'd like to thank him for his contributions to hockey and sports broadcasting in Canada. So that is breaking news there for you. Just happening moments ago, Sportsnet confirming that, yeah, Don Cherry is no longer part of Hockey Night in Canada. So what happened? Well, you had a very prominent television personality suggest that people from, quote, wherever don't respect the sacrifices of war. Well, that you do that, you say that, give your head a shake. Of course, you're going to stoke outrage. For so many people, what it meant was Don Cherry didn't understand history, period. Didn't do his homework. Didn't understand. War was not fought just by people who look like him. And nobody, and I mean nobody, has a monopoly on paying tribute to the military. There is no one right way to do that. In fact, that's exactly what they fought for. They fought for the right for people to do and protest and be free. So that offensive commentary, as mentioned, was heard on Coach's Corner on Saturday night, broadcast all over Sportsnet and, of course, also on the CBC. Because even though Rogers owns the rights to hockey, the CBC does still air those Saturday night games and the CBC is still where many people automatically turn to watch it. And you can bet that they definitely heard from a lot of people on this as well. Joining us now is Chuck Thompson, Head of Public Affairs for English Language Services at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. And Chuck, thank you very much for joining us today. Of course. Hi, Simi. What has the last 24 hours been like at the CBC in dealing with this? Well, we certainly had a, a significant number of uh, emails and calls um, looking for our comment. Um, I, and I, I think it stems from the fact that in as much as uh, Rogers Sportsnet has ultimate editorial control over all games that air on CBC, all NHL games that air on CBC, um, to the viewer, they don't understand, and, and nor should they, why would they understand the fact that, that the CRTC imposed uh, a separate license, a network broadcast license, for Rogers to take on when airing any NHL games on CBC. So they're reaching out to us, and what we've been saying is, um, first and foremost, we found his remarks to be as uh, divisive, as discriminatory, and as offensive as seemingly every Canadian. And we expressed as much uh, earlier today to Sportsnet, um, because uh, as the public broadcaster, even though we have no say or any purview over their content, uh, we needed to uh, to have our point of view heard. So that was a call made then from someone at the CBC to Sportsnet? That's right, this morning. Are you surprised to hear then the news that Don Cherry has been fired? I didn't know where it was going to end up. Uh, I certainly knew that would have been an option, and clearly that's an option that Sportsnet has exercised. Um, it was uh, ultimately their call. So, Chuck, this isn't the first time that Don Cherry has kind of gotten in hot water for saying something, and some of those times happened at the CBC. Uh, what was it like at that point dealing with him? Was there ever a moment in time in the past where the CBC considered doing this as well? 
any decisions made regarding Don Cherry while we held the national rights for NHL hockey were made um, in the moment and on a case-by-case basis. Because none of those individuals who made those decisions are with the CBC anymore, it would be unfair and I will say irresponsible of us to speak on their behalf. Um, I just you know, don't think it would be reasonable for me to speculate what was happening in the moment and get into their heads. So uh, right. I, I take your question, but I, I think in fairness, none of them are here. So it's not my place to speak on their behalf. But does this make the CBC then think twice about that editorial control that Rogers has over what is broadcast on CBC? Well, when you pay what they paid to secure the national rights uh, for NHL hockey, um, I don't think anybody would pre- assume that we would have, a, or anybody else would be able to retain any kind of editorial control. Um, they are the single gatekeeper for NHL hockey in this country, and with that comes um, complete uh, control over all aspects of the coverage, the the, the matchups, the uh, editorial, the advertising revenue. We get none of that. Um, so. It's uh, it's it comes with the package. Right. So then, why do it then? Right. When you're talking about having well, something like this happen on your yeah, station, and you have no say. Why do it? Because I think hockey is. Uh, I don't think. I I think I can go as far as saying we think hockey is is such a. It's so so much a part of the fabric of the country and hockey on Saturday nights on CBC has, has it's a synonymous uh, relationship um, and it's a long well, it's, a, it's not a synonymous it's a long-standing relationship and hockey on Saturday nights is synonymous with this country and and so we felt that in as much as we could no longer play the pay the exorbitant rights cost to secure um, NHL hockey anymore uh, this allowed us to have games on CBC on on Saturday nights, as well as through the playoffs, while at the same time not having to pay the rights. Uh, so it's a, it's a unique partnership, to be sure. Mm-hmm. But um, that's uh, that's where we landed, and we're uh, just now into the first year of a seven year uh, of a new seven year agreement with them. Had there been any discussion in the last twenty four hours about what might happen next Saturday if Don Cherry were still in the chair? I think, in fairness, that's a question best asked of someone in my role at uh, Sportsnet. But so the CBC would have just broadcast that if Sportsnet had decided to go ahead and do it? Well, as I said earlier, we did reach out to them to express our very real concerns about what he said. So, uh, you know, for me to speculate on what it might have looked like had he not been let go, um, I think would be, um, you know, just guessing. And I, I think the reality is he has been let go. So then, Chuck, what is your message then to the public? And I'm sure many of them are still contacting the CBC over this. They are. Of course they are. Yeah. Yeah. What would you like to say to them? That we, too, take this very seriously. And as the public broadcaster, we, uh, what he said does not in any way speak to our values. His remarks were offensive, they were divisive, and they were discriminatory. And that's why we took the action we did earlier today. All right, Chuck, thank you very much for your time. Okay. Thanks, Mary. That's Chuck Thompson. He's the head of public affairs for English language services at the CBC. You know, times have changed, especially in the way we view things like sexual assault. 
And yes, the Me Too movement has had a lot to do with this. We ask a lot more questions now about why. Why, for instance, aren't police more aggressive when they look into and investigate sexual assaults? We have been reading about this. It was a great series in the Globe and Mail recently called Unfounded uh, by investigative journalist Robin Doolittle. Well, she has now built on that work, and she's writing about all of this in her latest book called had it coming. She examines what she calls rape culture and looks at how we, all of us, have changed when it comes to our reaction to stories in the past versus stories today. And writing it, she says, was a personal awakening for her. Let's hear more about this now. Robin Doolittle joins us. Robin, thanks so much for joining us today to talk about your book. How has the reception been? Oh man, what a question. It's been really fascinating. I've yeah. now been doing this stuff for about a month and the whole book is about trying to bring these conversations that people are having in private with girlfriends that they trust into the public. And I was really unsure of how that was going to play out, but it's great. People want to talk about, yeah, consent is, yeah. is complicated. Let's get into the muck here on these issues. That's why I asked the question because <laughs> when I was reading the book, I that was the thought that I had too. Like you start by telling the Kobe Bryant story, which I think is so fascinating because I've had that same kind of thought process happen to me as well. And you wonder, are we the only ones that are thinking this? But clearly from your book, that is not the case. Everybody is rethinking the way they used to view these issues. Exactly. Uh, You know, the book, I'm spending a lot of time asking people to think about rape myths and stereotypes, like these outdated ideas that we all harbor about women and gender and power and victims and sex, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when I was doing research for the book, I came across that Kobe Bryant case again. And it was crazy because, you know, when I was reading the details of that case, there was a lot of evidence that something happened. There was blood on his shirt. She had vaginal trauma, et cetera. And I remember when I heard about it when I was 18 thinking, well, what did this girl think going to a hotel room with an NBA player at night? And like, that's messed up. Why was that my thought? That's rape culture. And we have to unpack why we hold these views. And it was reinforced at the time, right? Time and time again with the coverage. Yeah, that that was wild too, going through the media coverage at the time. I think the, the headline in the Los Angeles Times was something like, Kobe Bryant's accuser is an emotional party girl. Like, you know, it's a little dog whistle, like, like this girl had it coming. Like this girl was, you know, asking for it. That that's that's what rape culture is. And you know, also with that case, the court staff um, leaked private information about this girl to the media by accident. They 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 emailed journalists a closed door discussion about her sexual history. Um, a, a tabloid ran a full page photo of her with her name, saying you know, did she lie? Like, this is crazy. This was only 2003, not that long ago. Do you think this would happen again? Do you think a case like that would happen today, given everything that's happened in the last couple of years? No. Uh, I, th- I think that the conversation would be different yeah. about it. And that's really what's, you know, different about me too. Not when you say again, I, I think it is completely possible that an allegation like this would happen right. again, but the conversation would be different. And I think that's the real difference. What's changed between Kobe Bryant and say a Gian Gomeshi or a Bill Cosby or the Harvey Weinstein? It's, it's social media. It's given everyone a platform. Right. Uh, this grew out of a series that you did called Unfounded, which was so fascinating that which looked into the statistics right across the country of police forces and the number of sexual assault cases that they actually investigate. There were some shocking statistics in there. I mean, we don't necessarily have a problem of people coming forward. People are coming forward 
It's what is happening once they come forward. Exactly. Yeah, I was. I, I became immersed in this topic beginning in 2015. At the time, everyone was talking about Gian Gomeshi and that the justice system was failing sexual assault victims. And I'm an investigative journalist at the Globe and Mail, and I thought, well, I wonder if that's true. I mean, it feels true, but is it? And what I was essentially trying to do is figure out if we could quantify rape culture. Can we put a number to it? And that's where I collected statistics from more than 800 police jurisdictions and found that one in five cases were being dismissed as unfounded, which means it's base or, or baseless or false in the officer's mind. And this was more than mm-hmm. twice the rate for, for physical assault. And, and why was that? And that gets back to just these outdated ideas, I think, that police officers were hearing allegations from women and not sure what to make of it and thinking, well, it's just sex. Maybe this isn't so serious or she was drinking. I don't know what to make of it. But shockingly, as you just said, though, if it was just a physical assault without the sex in it, the numbers were different. Exactly. Yeah, they were dramatically less. And and physical assault uh, is the most comparable crime. It's a crime on a person. And, and physical assault is often, you know, one story against another story. Same thing. Yeah. So what's the difference? I, I looked into 54 specific cases. And what I found was just these one mass confusion about Canadian consent laws. Canada has some of the most progressive laws in the world. The laws are not the problem. It's that they're not being enforced. And why aren't they being enforced? And this is all kind of tying into what we're exploring now with Me Too. These these ideas that we have uh, around, you know, how victims are supposed to behave. I spend some time in the book talking about mm. trauma. And it's really important to understand this because, um, you know, let's say someone is being assaulted and they don't scream for help if someone's nearby. That, that seems illogical. Like, why wouldn't you do that? And it's not until you unpack the science behind right. what's happening in the body when someone's truly terrified for their life, that it makes sense why someone might not scream or right. run. You also looked at, like, as you said, so many police forces where there, and I know there were particular police forces across the country that really stood out for some questionable statistics and including some here in BC. Yeah. And, and that was what was interesting is that uh, there wasn't really no pattern. It's like just huh. you can have a police service of a very similar size and demographics side by side, and they would have dramatically different numbers. And I think a lot of it comes down to the training that officers – like do officers – here's a big thing. I interviewed mm-hmm. a lot of police officers. Police officers are not, for the most part, bad people. Right. This, I no, think, of course not. Yeah. Right. It, it's just a lack of resources or training or understanding. A lot of this stuff wasn't malicious. Like, I spend some time in the book interviewing Robin Camp. This is the judge that famously right. said, you know, why didn't she just keep her knees together if she didn't want to be penetrated? And when I was reading the transcript of that case, it, it's not that this guy was. I didn't see malice. I just saw ignorance. He just didn't know. And and he was put on a very public trial, um, disciplinary hearing, and he went through an evolution of thought by reaching out to these feminist legal scholars and mentors to understand where his ideas had gone wrong. But it's so disappointing to think that somebody like that who was appointed to the bench without having had to have any kind of training. So here he is hearing sexual assault cases, but he knows he doesn't have that training. So why wouldn't somebody like that go, I need to learn more about this if I'm going to rule on this? Well, this is all part of what we're trying to understand now in this moment is like, why is it that an oil and gas judge can be on the bench hearing sexual assault trials? There is no way to force sitting judges to have training, specialized training. And you must have been disappointed then. I mean, I know Ron Ambrose did a great job in bringing forth that bill that would kind of make it mandatory for that kind of training. We interviewed her several times about it, and then it died in the Senate before the election was called. 
It's it's nuts, and I mean, there were such so many common sense things in in Rana's bill, such as um, that verdicts need to be written down. Like, and, and that sounds like such an obvious thing, but when you're a journalist, so many of these cases come out because a journalist has spotted them. Yeah. Like with Robin Camp, um, that was two legal scholars that saw that, and it was written about in the Globe and Mail. And then there was a hearing. Robin Camp is not an outlier. Like this is very common. All these the time, misconceptions. Yeah. In my reporting, I uncovered many judges with problematic views. Um, but it was because I was able to get the transcript uh, and, and see those. But so many cases, they don't have to write it down. It's just one of those odd little fixes that I think we're moving forward. That right. would be an easy way. So when you talk about all the results and things that have happened as a res- you know, because of the investigations that you did and what you read, is there something that's particularly rewarding to you where you go, I'm so glad this has now happened? I mean, from the Unfounded series, police services have had a massive overhaul of training and oversight, and that's really great. I, I think with me too, we all, if you know, if you polled the country, are you, you know, are you pro sexual assault? Are you pro sexual harassment? No, obviously people are going to say no. Yeah. Where we differ is what constitutes the bad behavior. Where, what, what is crossing the line? And, uh, you know, as I said, like things like, Consent. Things like do people who have committed harm deserve a second chance? Understanding trauma, the role of social media, due process, this myth of false accusations, where that's coming from. All of these things are really complicated. They're not black and white. We need to have these discussions. And what I'm happy that I'm seeing is people having these conversations because that's the only way we're going to move forward. Like today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. That's Robin Doolittle, the investigative journalist. Uh, Her latest book is called Had It Coming. You should definitely check that out. You people love, you, you that come here, whatever it is, you love our way of life, you love our milk and honey, at least you could pay a couple of bucks for poppies or something like that. These guys pay for your way of life that you enjoy in Canada. Oh boy, every time I hear it, it kind of jolts me. And that right there was the straw that broke the camel's back. That was Don Cherry on Saturday night, took day and a half or so. Uh, just before noon, we learned that he has now been fired by Sportsnet, the company saying it's the right time for Cherry to immediately step down. Now, Sportsnet as a company had apologized yesterday for Don Cherry's comments on Coach's Corner, which happened on Saturday night. But the backlash was swift and it was ongoing. I mean, even the National Hockey League spoke out about this. You had politicians, you had everybody actually speaking out about this. Now, to talk more about this, by the way, he still hasn't said anything. His co-host, Ron McLean, has. Uh, Ron McLean apologizing for not saying something in the moment and for letting those comments go by unchallenged. And I'm sure there'll be more discussion about that as well. But to talk more about this, we're joined now by Squire Barnes, Global BC Sports Director. Hi, Squire will be joining us in just a moment, actually. I think I jumped the gun there a little bit. A little more background, though, on this story, in case you missed the original comments. Uh, He was singling out people from, as he put it, wherever. You come from wherever, he said, and he believed that he didn't see enough people wearing poppies. Listen, I see people not wearing poppies, and I there are all different backgrounds, all different backgrounds, people not wearing poppies. And guess what? People of all different backgrounds who wear poppies, too. Now let's talk about more about this with the help of Squire Barnes, our Global BC Sports Director. Hi, Squire. Hello. So were you surprised that this finally happened, it seems like, after all these controversies over the years? No, I wasn't surprised. And I think, I mean, there's probably a lot of, a, a lot of, you know, deep in the night talking um, at the place where they had to make the final decision. But when I saw the NHL put out a statement on it the other day uh, condemning it, I thought at that point it was ball game. 
So what because was it the about NHL these? has a large a large say in who announcers are, and uh, once they came out and went against it, I think the die was cast. As far as I was concerned, when I saw that, I thought, okay, this is it. He's not going to survive this. Okay, so that was the sign for you. For for me, yeah. When the NHL jumped in, that was a sign because. If I'm not very much mistaken, and I might be Simi, but I know in the past when, when BCTV, before it was global, yeah. used to have the Canucks broadcasts, the Canucks had a say in who the announcers were. It had to be agreed upon by both sides. So, so a TV station could not force an announcer the Canucks didn't like, and vice versa. So once the NHL came out and said, we don't like what Don Cherry said, that's when I thought, okay, Sportsnet's not going to not going to go along and keep them. They're going to pull the plug. Right. And so, I mean, this is a long time for people, and I've, I've had a lot of emails from people about this today where they go, I'm not surprised because this isn't the first time he has found himself in hot water, but it seemed like from the moment he said this on Saturday night, these comments were different. Well, yeah, I mean, he has his, his whole bit since he became uh, known to Canadians as the coach's corner guy has been basically the loose cannon. That was his act Mm -hmm. as the loose cannon. He would say things that people either agreed with or didn't agree with, but, you know, they were always, you know, know, when you think about it this way, which is kind of interesting, and this is not really answering your question, but I just had to get this in while it's in my mind. The entire country is talking about a person who probably spends 10 minutes on television a week. Yeah. It's incredible. And, I mean, whether it's right or wrong... Uh, whether you like him or don't like him, Don Cherry's impact on this country is remarkable when you think about it for a man who does not spend all that much time in living rooms every week. Right, but it's also somebody who seemed like left in the land that time forgot, you know? Like, he talked about hockey being a very specific thing and almost like his image of hockey is so 30, 40 years ago. Well, yeah, his he always... He always embraced, you know, the old days of hockey, the, you know, the tough, you know, fighting style, uh, you know, and he always, I mean, even back in the day, he would take runs at, you know, Swedes and Finns yeah. and, and French Canadians and Russians for not being tough enough and not being like, you know, the Canadian boys and things like that. And, and there, I, I remember, and I, I don't remember the exact year, when he did say something against French Canadians, CBC, I believe, put in a seven-second delay. All right. So if he, had, if he had said something again, they could cut it off before it got on the air. Now, I'm not sure if that seven-second delay was still in place and whoever ran it didn't bother to push the button or if it was just removed at some point after that. But there used to be, at one time, the CBC had a seven-second delay. After the uh, after the remarks he made, uh, I think it was about French Canadians. Wow, you write about the NHL though. Do you think times have just changed so much that even like when you're talking about an organization like the NHL, and they get a lot of criticism for other stuff too, this was actually the one thing they just said. You know what? We we can't we can't do this anymore because Don Cherry's been criticized for his support of fighting in hockey, uh, for mm-hmm. his, not saying enough about concussions and the damage that that does. Like, there's a lot of other stuff as well in the game that he's been criticized for. Don Cherry's yeah run run against the grain of the NHL for a lot of years. And um, interesting points there as well. Don Cherry's never been put in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Ah. Uh, you know, despite as popular as he has been to a lot of people, I mean, let's face it, even today, I'm sure 
I mean, I'm, it might be close to being down the middle. Who knows? Of people who are upset that he was fired and people who are happy he was fired. Um, he does have a lot of supporters, a lot of fans still. And despite all of that, and despite all those years of, of being on Coach's Corner and, and being on TV in the States for, for hockey and, you know, the Rock'em's, remember the Rock'em, oh, Rock'em Sock'em, Sock'em videos? Yep. And he made a lot of money off that. And, and all the things with hockey, he never got put in the Hockey Hall of Fame, which I always found back in the day, well, that's a little odd because you would think a guy who has reached that stature in the media, and he also, of course, was a coach in the NHL at one time and briefly a player, one game. But uh, the NHL has never been a big fan of Don's, I don't think. No, it's But they've like- tolerated it. Right. So no more. So what now? What happens now? Will there ever be another commentator like that, do you think? Well, I mean, everybody always thought the moment Brian Burke was hired that he was, yeah. he sort of fit the mold of being cherry-esque. Although, you know, Brian's not quite like Don in a sense. I mean, Brian's, you know, has always been the guy, the bombastic guy who said what he thought. And he also was a great advocate of the tough the tough hockey player, and you know, as the word he loves to use, truculent. He's the only man on the planet, I think, yes, he uses the word so truculent true. more than once a day. But so, so he may fill that role, or you know what they may do? They may just say, well, you know, there's no point replacing Don. You know, coach's corner goes the way of front page challenge or something. It just goes into the history books as there that we had a show once and it was called this and that's the end of it. If you want to look it up, go on YouTube. And what do you do with Ron McLean then? Here's somebody who's being criticized because he sat there and didn't say anything. He's apologized profusely for that. What do you do with him at that point? I don't know. Uh, You know, remember a couple of years ago, too, there was talk that they weren't going to renew either of their contracts. Uh, Cherry and and um, and Ron, and there was a bit of a backlash. And when Sportsnet first took over control of HockeyNet in Canada, even though it appears on CBC, it now is under the the helm of Rogers and Sportsnet. Remember, they put in George Strombopoulos. Oh yeah, yeah, we know how and that went. He was, and he sort of became, you know, the the Ron figure, uh, the main host. And then it it switched back, and then you know Ron got in there. They use other hosts as well. But Ron kept his position with, with Don. And I'm, I'm guessing, you know, if there's no coach's corner, I don't know. But then again, Ron also hosts the Sunday night hockey right. where they, they go to various towns and stuff. So I, I, think, I think by apologizing for what happened, Ron will continue. The interesting thing, I'm very curious, and we'll never know. What would have happened if Don had apologized? This is what I was wondering, too. And I wonder, apparently, if you read a column, there's a Toronto Sun column where he says he wasn't going to apologize. And I thought, yeah. well, that, I'm sure they asked him to do so before they fired him. Oh, I'm sure they did. I'm sure they, they, they talked to him and said, look, you know, come out and, and, uh, and apologize for what you did. And he said no. And it's like, okay, um, you're done. But um, I, I wonder what would have happened if he had done that. You know, would he have, I don't know, who knows. I know. But I mean, the, the era is over. That is so true. Squire, listen, thanks so much for your time. Okay, thank you. That's Squire Barnes, our Global BC Sports Director. He's right. It is the end of an era with uh, Don Cherry being fired from Sportsnet, no longer doing Coach's Corner.